the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Hello, Bethany family. In his letter to the church in Philippi, The Apostle Paul makes it clear that even our faith in God is something God has made possible in us. Listen carefully. For it is God who works in you, works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This doesn't mean we don't play a part. We do. We will and we act out in response to God. God has not made puppets. He has made people, and God desires that we respond to him and all he makes possible because of his great love for us. In his gospel, written to the people steeped in the Roman culture, Mark tells the story of Jesus' healing of a profoundly demon-possessed boy. His point is that belief, that is, undoubting faith, is essential for us as his followers. The father of the young boy that Jesus is about to heal shows in his words the real need for faith in all our lives, especially those of us who claim faith in Jesus already. When the father says, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Even in our believing, we need God's help. Faith is not merely a human choice to be made. We need God's help to choose faith, and we certainly need God's help to live into our faith. In step one of finding peace in the valley, there's a reality. My life is unmanageable. It is out of control. I need help. So I brought last week a message on the topic, admitting my deception. We can't do life well on our own. Even with the best intentions and the highest discipline, we all fall short and are living the way God intended. This is a reality we must all face head on and ultimately admit. In step two of finding peace in the valley, there's faith. I come to believe that I can hope for help. So today I bring a message on the topic, Crossing the Threshold. My life can be made well and whole, and I can begin to find peace with God by first facing my deception and second crossing the threshold. This morning we will consider the crossing the threshold step in this peace process. But let me tell you, stepping across this threshold can be daunting. Let me illustrate. I had whitewater rafted before. In rivers coming out of the Cascades in Washington State, on the Merced River through Yosemite National Park, and on the Russian River in California. But this, this was different. As I looked at the turbulent white waters of the American River just outside of Sacramento, I was quaking inside. The snowmelt had been significant, and the American River was swollen with the milky water from the Sierra Nevada Mountains. I was concerned deeply concerned about taking the inflated raft and these high school kids through these rapids, all in the name of fun. Then the river guide began to speak. He was calm, reassuring, 
He was confident that everything would be fine. In fact, he'd taken the trip twice that day already without any trouble. He gave us instructions. He taught us the commands to follow for safety. He made us laugh. I found myself trusting him to make this insane river ride a safe and enjoyable experience. And it was. It really was. We ran those rapids four more times that day before we headed home. Step two is about faith. Not a faith that we declare with words, and that's enough, but a faith that trusts, that steps across the threshold of our comfort zone and control to a place where we begin to put our lives into the hands of another. But before we do, I ask that you join me in preparation by praying together the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Step two. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Understanding step two. Number one, consider the pronouns. We, ourselves, us. We came to believe. A power greater than ourselves. Restore us to sanity. While each person is an individual and unique, the 12-step program is group-based. Each individual chooses to participate at their pace in their time, but they join others. No one can do this 12-step program alone, ever. The 12-step program is done in the company of others. This is the same principle God teaches us in the Bible. The pronouns are plural. Yes, the church is a voluntary organization, and people participate at their own pace in their own time. But the church is a body made up of many individuals. No one is expected to do church alone. In fact, ever, it is not possible to do so. The church is a group of many people. Consider with me now the phrase, we came to believe. Believing or having faith is a process. Hardly ever is it an instant in time. Another way to say it, there are instants in time, but they work together to make up the notion of coming to believe. As young children, we develop faith through the lives and the teachings of our parents. Jerry Seiden in his book, Divine or Distorted, God as We Understand God, writes, Quote, the distorted images that parents place on our hearts and minds carry directly over to our image of God. We grow up feeling that God sees us as our parents did. And so we grow up seeing ourselves and our God through distorted eyes, end of quote. Now, I want to be fair here. Not all parents give distorted images of God. 
Many give wonderful images, and their children are truly blessed by that. So it was for me, for my parents. I was blessed. The point, however, is made. Parental teaching and example are formative to our understanding of ourselves, of life, and of God. But then we get input from other family members, from teachers, from friends, from things we watch on TV or hear on the radio, or read from books, periodicals, and the Internet. There is, in fact, a familiar trend to replace what comes from home with what comes from elsewhere. I've heard many a young child correcting their parents because of what a teacher or a professor has said. I've heard older children correcting parents and teachers from what a friend, a book, a podcast, a TikTok star has told them. We grow into a system of belief, a system of faith. The 12-step program is such a system. Listen to what is written about the tradition of Step 2. Quote, For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. End of quote. In my own life, I have an example of this process of coming to believe. My parents, they were strong in faith in Jesus. They were personally devoted to him. We prayed at each meal, whether we were at home or out. We read the Bible and prayed with the family each day. We went to church every Sunday, morning and evening, and each Wednesday. Vacation Bible school and Christian camp each summer. A deep desire that each of us kids would believe in God. This was my parents' goal, that we would become people who believe in God, His Son, Jesus, the Bible, and the church. It was their desire for us to be in situations with people so that that transformation could happen in each of our lives. Consider the implications of a power greater than ourselves. For most people, the choosing of someone greater than themselves begins with a person, perhaps a hero. I had early heroes in my life, people I looked up to, people I hoped to become like. Some of them failed to live up to all I had seen in them, and their lives became tragic. A man in our church who was a great athlete, a very successful businessman, had a great family, divorced them all for a trophy wife. She wasn't worth it, and it didn't last. Some of these people were so good, so wonderful, that I didn't believe I could ever be like them. Corey Tenboom was one of those. I was fortunate to spend a week with her in California as we brought her to our church and community to speak. Some of them fell, but then they got up and became heroes all over again. Chuck Colson was a man like that. Big, powerful, very well-placed, fallen, and then transformed by God. The implications of all this? First, it's crucial for me who I pick as the someone greater. I need the help of others here, others who know me well and who know well the someone greater I am thinking of. Second, the someone greater does not ensure victory over my insanity, only the example and the encouragement to deal effectively with my insanity if I stay connected with it. And third, this someone greater will probably be a person to begin with, a parent, a sponsor, a follower of Jesus. 
that someone greater can be Jesus Christ himself, but that may take some time to happen, and it usually doesn't begin with him. Consider the hope of this higher power could restore us to sanity. Sanity is a mental health term that means the condition of being sane or soundness of judgment or reason. Insanity can be acted out in several ways. Here's three of the most common ways. First, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results each time. That's insane. Second, blaming everyone and everything for our condition instead of taking responsibility for our own behavior or lack of behavior. That's insane. And third, attempting to control others in order to improve our own lives. That's completely insane. To be restored to sanity means that we can be transformed from that kind of thinking, that kind of behavior. In other words, we could go from unreasonable to reasonable, from bad judgment to sound judgment, from foolish to wise, from conflicted to peaceful. So how do you work step two? Step one, as we have already spoken before in this message and last week as well, is an admission that we are powerless over some addiction or obsession and that our lives have become unmanageable. In essence, step one is applying the brakes. I can't keep on lying to myself. I can't go up until I stop going down. I need help. But if worked rightly, step one leaves us empty. We have admitted our powerlessness and inability to manage our lives but we realize if I'm powerless and cannot manage my life, who can? God can. Long before we know God, God begins putting simple seeds of faith in our lives. These seeds are usually not something great or overwhelming, but instead are a growing confidence that someone else far greater than ourselves can do what we cannot do. Step two is a realization that this higher power, this God, can actually help me. Step two is an admission, not just that I can't do my life this way anymore, but that there is hope that someone greater than ourselves can give us right life. In other words, with the help of God, I can become a healthy human being. This step is a gift. It's a gift that begins with God, who plants seeds of faith in us over and over connecting us with people who tend those seeds. And our part in this step is not complicated. For the alcoholic is to put themselves in a place with others who are succeeding at facing their addiction and not drinking anymore. For the sinner, the narcissist, the self-righteous, the judgmental, the gossip, the angry, the stubborn, the yelling, it is to put themselves in a place with others who are honest about their own sins, by whatever the name, and are succeeding at admitting and facing their sin and not sinning. This takes being with genuine Christians in a healthy and missional church. The sinner can't continue to self-indulge and get the help they need. The sinner must begin to recognize their powerlessness to deal with sin and begin to trust in someone greater than themselves, and eventually, God and his son, Jesus the Christ. Do I 
need step two? There are four choices. Yes. No. I've already taken step two. Or my own personal choice. I've taken step two and I need to continue taking step two. Example. Consider the Magi. Genuinely searching for God and his will. Believing that the stars revealed God and God's ways to them. They follow a star, searching for its message. They arrive in Israel and it can continue to search for him there. They hear from the king and some rabbis and continue to search. They come to Bethlehem and continue to search. They come to the home of Mary and Joseph and they find Jesus. By now he's a toddler, perhaps two years old. There's not much they know about Jesus except that the star pointed to him. Let's remember, at this point, for the Magi, Jesus hasn't taught a single lesson, but they worship him. Jesus hasn't told a single parable, but they worship him. Jesus hasn't healed one person, but they worship him. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross to pay for their sin and redeem them, but they worship him. Step two is beginning to believe by putting yourself in places and with people who can help you. It's like what we do when, when you're sick, you go to a doctor. When you don't know something, when you're ignorant, you go to a teacher. When you're an alcoholic, you go to AA. When you're a sinner, you go to a savior and to his church. There is hope because there's a higher power. There is help because the higher power had followers who have been helped. Wherever you are in believing, step into the hope and you will get help. God wants you and me and all people to know him. And he will help you. He has been helping you. He's given you people to help you. With him and with the help of his people, we can be delivered from anything, from everything. This is the good news. Admitting we were powerless over our addiction, our obsession, our sin, and that our lives had become unmanageable, and coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. These are the beginning steps to finding peace with God. Amen. <laughs>